back to the Elvis Reviews Podcast. There you go. The show is started. You've already said it. Excellent. Hello, everybody. We're back. We had a short break. We had a summer holiday for you, winter for me, but we're back. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm drinking coffee. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm sure you're not drinking coffee. Or maybe you are. I am. I actually am drinking. I'm drinking oh, okay. iced coffee. Ice coffee. Okay, that's acceptable. Yes. Okay, we're here. You've already seen mm-hmm. the title. You know what it is. It's it's one of the big ones. It's yeah. it's called That's the Way It Is by a, a, a little known singer called Elvis Presley. Yeah. You might have heard of him. He did a lot of covers, I've heard. Yeah, a lot of covers on this album, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is like Elvis, his message. Basically, this is like the template for Elvis in the 1970s. Like this movie is, well, movie album this kind of sets the whole tone for Elvis's third decade as a rock star. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it sort of starts... Was this one of the first albums where it was a mix of studio and live stuff? Yeah, there's not a lot of albums that are like that, but I suppose technically the 68 comeback is a mix. This album is a mix. You get one live track on the Elvis Fool album, and then it's really nothing else until you get all the way to Moody Blue. Uh-huh. So, yeah, there's not many albums like this in his catalog so this is his 12th studio album uh if depending how you count them as always uh released november 11th 1970 now i get the feeling this is going to be a slightly longer show than some of the others we've done because we've got 12 songs not the usual 10 from a lot of Mm -hmm. those later 70s albums and there are some tracks that there's a lot to say about on this so yeah and these are much longer songs than yes gotten used to there's not well. a lot of the two minute two and a half minute songs most of these are three minutes four minutes yeah the, the thing i always sort of forget when i listen to this album is it it really is except maybe patch it up it's kind of an easy listening album sort of i, I mean it's very similar to a lot of records that were coming out at the time like uh glenn campbell in 1967 put out gentle on my mind which has uh, Mary in the Morning on there. And mm. uh, he puts out another one in 1967 that has Tomorrow Never Comes, uh, Till It's Time for You to Go. Like everybody was kind of, in other words, everybody was sort of covering a lot of these songs at this time. Yeah. Like uh, Tom Jones, the same year, puts out an album with his version of You've Lost That Love and Feeling, as well as Polk Salad Annie, Proud Mary, Without Love. Engelbert Humperdinck is covering the same stuff. This is Elvis's third studio album since the 68 comeback. And so he's really still kind of establishing himself as an adult singer. I mean, there's never been a rock star before Elvis. So this Mm. is like, he's still learning how to do it. And uh, this movie and album, I think, really establishes just the the whole template for the 1970s. So this album has eight studio tracks recorded in Nashville and four live tracks recorded in Las Vegas. But there has been a bit of um, manipulation, let's say, with the, right. the, the audience sounds, which is one of my pet peeves. We'll get to that later. Yeah. But yeah, this peaked at number 21 on the Billboard 200 chart and number eight on the country chart. So right. yeah, they did okay, but, which is surprising considering now most people look at this as one of his great albums, mm-hmm. but he had now well, considered much worse albums than this, which did much better numbers later in the uh, 70s. So that's a bit strange. That's true. Yeah, it may have just been the, the time period. You know, the original movie, uh, which is almost impossible to find the original cut of, but I've gone back and looked at parts of it, and I kind of forget that it focused on some very weird aspects of his audience. Like it was almost making fun of them. I, I can't quite figure it out if they were 
I don't know, it's, it's a weird documentary that it could have had a all the live stuff, all the stuff with Elvis is spectacular. But I don't know. I don't know if it had a, a, a slightly negative effect the way they the original cut of it kind of makes Elvis fans in 1970 not look like the hippest, coolest people in the world, mm, which um, is something that still happens now to some degree, yeah. but usually not by the artist themselves. Like this was an official product from Elvis and right. it is making fun of the fans to whatever extent. Well, but then you've got now, you know, mm-hmm. over the last 20 years, 30, 40 years, whatever, how many like news segments have there been about, look at these crazy Star Trek fans dressing up in their uniforms. Yeah. These are a wacky lot of people. But that's not coming from Star Trek itself. That's just the media. But this wasn't the film. I mean, Elvis didn't have, you know, final cut or any say on what the director oh, did. Yeah. But still, it's I, an, it came out as officially sanctioned by whoever. It wasn't it like did. just a random guy who put it out. It did, but it's interesting that it's almost impossible to find that original the cut. The original, they, yeah. It seems like they've tried to bury that a bit. I think they did. Um, And I still, I'm not knocking the original movie because it contains so much amazing Elvis stuff. But yeah, I can understand why the new, the special edition has completely taken its place. Yeah. Because uh, it, it removes all that, all those fan interviews. All the wacky stuff. Yeah. But we are here to talk about the album. Yes. We did watch the movie. Oh, I'm going to keep talking about but the then movie. It, yeah, so. <laughs> but then at some point we thought we're probably going to review the movie as well anyway. So we'll just, we'll see how it goes. Okay. So we are reviewing the album as it was released. I know there are, there's been multiple different versions released since the original came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually got a eight disc bunch of audio, which had like all those live shows, like I think it's 10th of August, 11, 12, 13, plus the original album and other stuff and some outtakes and like the single version of Patch It Up and different things. And that's that's a massive, uh, it's going to take me a while to get through that, but uh, there's some good stuff on there. Yeah, this is the album it feels like certainly of all the ones we've covered feels like it has the most depth like this is an album you can really replay and pick up things every time oh yeah uh, yeah this this is definitely one of my favorite albums although i do like elvis country more it's all the same session so it's almost mm. pointless to divide them but elvis country i think has got a little bit more rock stuff on it than this true true but, but yeah great. i think this considering we started with the later 70s albums and we're going from mm-hmm. there uh, maybe excluding some of the soundtracks, it's only up from here. We've got some great albums to get to. Oh, f- yeah, for sure. And we sort of started like lower down on on the ladder. <laughs> yeah, well, we are definitely in like the top peak five time now territory. Yeah, this is Elvis at his most Elvis. He's just just amazing. a random guess. The peak Elvis era in my head, I, I'm probably going to say like 68 to 72. That f- that five year period was the peak i agree with you because you had before that you had all the the soundtrack stuff and the movies of course you had the early early elvis like 55 56 which was great but but then you had like the later 70s albums which again yeah whatever you think about those so i think that that's sort of four or five year from the 68 special up to 72 maybe 73 Mm -hmm. is the peak era of Elvis just being Elvis. I I do think you're right. I mean, he had so many peaks in his career, but this Mm. is probably the the highest one. The the Every single time he, yeah, every time he had to prove himself, he just did it so above and beyond expectations. I mean, right from the 50s, I mean, as soon as they put him on television, I mean, he was a sensation. I mean, people went nuts for him. 
He goes in the army. They think, well, he's probably washed up. Puts out an album right after the army. Elvis is back. Blows everything else he's ever done out of the water. Yeah. Then, you know, he does the movies. Then the 68 comeback. Again, uh, amazes everybody. And this is another one of those times where he just, he's beyond spectacular. He's just so far past expectations. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to really have nothing but good things to say about this album. Well, there's, I don't want to ruin the review, but I don't have yeah. a lot of bad stuff to say. I, yeah, there's a, there's I a mean, few tracks I'll say are not the best, but there's some, there's some really strong stuff on this album. So let's, let's go. Okay. Let's get into it. We've babbled enough. We are going to track number one, uh, side A, if you've got the vinyl. It's just can't help believing, allegedly live. I, I mean, it is live, but there's this been some, um, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> so what have you got about this one? Or do you want me to go through the, I've got the chart oh, stuff and who wrote it? And Yeah, I can, I can, well, it depends. I don't want to take your stuff, but uh, we're both going to say the same thing, BJ Thomas had it but elvis had a big hit version with it when it was released on a single and this is something i didn't know until we till i was preparing for this is that it was a single and a big hit around the world here we go elvis presley's version was number eight in australia top 10 in belgium top 10 in the netherlands south africa sweden number six in the uk so this was like a worldwide hit even though it's a bj thomas song mm -hmm. uh elvis outcharted bj thomas across the board pretty much well bj thomas did have a number one adult contemporary hit with it yeah yeah but see that's that's what elvis does though how yeah, many times have we seen him take uh, a song which somebody wrote and they just put it out on an album and no one ever heard of it again and then elvis sings it and it's 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 a big song yeah it's a huge song uh, i have the same little problem with the applause especially in this one because they applaud I've got a good says, rant about that thing, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they put the applause right after Trace of Misty Morning. Like, I don't know if the audience recognizes it or if they just turn up the applause. Or I, mm. I don't know. The applause is weird. I, I like that the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra took this one and this vocal and turned it into what sounds like a studio track because they've taken all the applause out. Mm. In fact, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra has returned to this album, I think, four different times, maybe five different times for what they've been re-releasing. Oh. Uh, this is the only the third studio album since the 68 comeback. Yeah. And the previous album before that was Speedway, the soundtrack. So it's still a little bit of a novelty to the public, I think, to have an adult Elvis singing about adult situations. Yeah, um, not, not another wacky soundtrack of him being a race car driver or a cowboy or yeah. something. I mean, it's still a little bit of a a weird thing for Elvis to be singing about waking up in bed next to a woman when this is a guy who's did like at this point 30 movies and his he woke up next to a lot of women <laughs> no not in the movies he appears in bed with a woman one single time oh, and there's wow, quite really? there's literally a piece of plywood between them <laughs> <laughs> like an actual piece of plywood. I really uh, need to start. We'll get to these movies, but that's not the impression that I had what the movies were. So, okay. Oh, interesting. But he's like the Fonz on Happy Days. He's got all the women, but he never... Oh, but they never actually show it. Okay. Right. That's just the um, conservative... 60s, I yeah. guess, even though the 60s weren't that conservative. No, they weren't. That's what I mean. Elvis, he was just really behind the times. In playing the it safe there. And he's really kind of playing catch up on these. And like I said, any of these songs that are, you've heard me all through the 70s talking about, oh, this is a really grown up song for Elvis, which mm -hmm. probably sounds ridiculous unless you've come through the 60s and you kind of know what I mean. Yeah. And this album is full of these kind of songs. Gosh, yeah, I don't have much else to say. I mean, I, I love it. I love everything on the album. I like it better than the original by B.J. Thomas. 
I do kind of wish there was a legitimate studio version. I know there's rehearsal versions and things, but I wish there was a real studio version. Yeah, I, I, nothing else to say. It's, it's excellent. It? It's, okay. it's just great. Okay, so written by Barry Mann and Cynthia Whale, I guess. Whale or Wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just get this audience thing out of the way. Okay. It's the most annoying thing. And it's, <laughs> it's this, yeah, like you said, it's just this random applause, like three lines into the song. Yeah. It just seems like awful editing because I cannot believe that everyone just burst into spontaneous applause exactly three lines into the song. <laughs> not after the yeah. first line when they recognize the song, not at the maybe not at the chorus where they recognize the song, just at a mm-hmm. totally random point. And I hate stuff like this. Whoever thought, yeah. oh, let's add some applause. Okay, but at least make it make some sort of sense. Well, like, I kept trying to figure this one out because it was a hit. You're right. They all applaud right after Elvis says with a trace of misty morning. Yeah. Why is why is that? Absolutely the, why are those the magic <laughs> words that everyone's like, oh, he said misty morning. Yes. I've been waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. But it was a hit for B.J. Thomas already. So, it's, I mean, it's not impossible that the audience sort of began to recognize it. I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think yeah. it's fake. But I, I, I went back and listened to the actual live concert because those full concerts are out there. Mm-hmm. And there is still audience noise at that point. But it's probably less than half the volume oh. of what it was on the officially released album. So they've really just put that volume level way up for the audience applause. Because yeah. at the actual concert, it's much less. And yeah. that's, again, it's just ridiculous how much they mess around with stuff like that. I, mm-hmm. I've said it's just a massive pet peeve of mine. It's just, it annoys me to no end, stuff like that. Anyway, that's enough of the ranting. This is a great song. Yes. And it sounds amazing in the headphones. Just everything, like the drums, the horns, Elvis's voice, the bass, the backing vocals, the strings, that little maraca thing i don't know what it's mm-hmm. called that's not a maraca um uh, i don't know the name of it but yeah. it's some little instrument that goes whatever it is and um <laughs> uh-huh. but just everything is crystal clear in the headphones it's so well recorded and again the remaster is even better yeah. but we're talking about the original album but yeah this song always gets stuck in my head mm-hmm. it's um it's memorable it's catchy and yeah. um i'm not sure if it was the best song to start off the album with with like a live track I mean, it's fine, but is it that representative of the album? Sort of. Mm. I don't know. I haven't thought of what a better opening track would be. I just thought, would you start off with a live track? I don't know. I think, I mean, especially since they went out of their way to add applause. uh, I mean, I think they really wanted this album to have that live feel to it. So much so that they even cheated on, you know, at least one song by adding applause to the studio track. So, yeah, that was definitely the plan. I mean, you know what I mean? They, They definitely wanted to start off with something live. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just, again, sort of a statement of this is the new adult Elvis and this track. Maybe yeah, it kind of covers that. This is a, a rant for another time, but I just don't okay. understand why they have to manipulate these audience volume levels so much on these albums. It's like, yeah. you've already bought the album. They've already got your money. You don't have to now convince the people listening to it that, oh, this really is great because listen to that massive applause. They've already bought yeah. it. I just, it, see, it seems like almost an, an insecurity thing. It's like, oh, the audience applause wasn't loud enough. We've got to make it way louder because you know how great Elvis is. They would be going crazy. Yeah. It's just a weird thing. It may have been the style for live recordings at the time, though. Like, I, I've got a really cool Glenn Campbell concert from 1968, and I think they do the same thing. I mean, it's a live double album. 
but yeah, the applause is definitely manipulated at times. It's out so of control. It may have just been the the way the way back then they were recording live stuff. It's uh, just another one of those seventies things, along with the horns and the strings and the. <laughs> well, ha- have you listened to the? I know we're talking about this album, but have you listened to the version the Royal Philharmonic did? No, I don't think so. With Elvis, it's cool because they take all the applause out and it makes it sound like he's just, it's a studio album. In yeah. fact, they even take some. I don't know how they fix it, but you know when he's singing live, you can hear him breathing into the microphone sometime. And oh, in wow. particular, the li- that line we were talking about where he says "trace of misty morning." In the Royal Philharmonic version, they managed to fix it somehow. I mean, they oh. they diminish the the whatever the the breath in the microphone sound so it really sounds more like a studio version wow anyway it's a good one some of the stuff the royal philharmonic has done with elvis is terrible but this is a good one (laughs) if you want to check out the closest thing to elvis doing a studio version of this song check that out. that's the one what's the name that's just what's the name of that album i think it's on the second one called the wonder of you Uh, the first royal philharmonic one is called if I Can Dream, and I don't like what they did with If I Can Dream, by the way. And the second one is Wonder of You, and that's got the uh, got this one. I think it also has Just Pretend. Oh, okay. And You Don't Have to Say You Love Me. So, a few songs yeah, from they, here. Okay. Indeed. Okay, as is the way we talked too long about the first <laughs> track. So let's go to track number two. It's 20 Days and 20 Nights and something, 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 something. <laughs> um, written by English songwriters Ben Wiseman and Clive Westlake. Now, just a little thing I noticed. Just literally the first two seconds of this are identical to Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. Oh, really? Just the first well, two seconds. And then as yeah. soon as it gets to like that third guitar note, it changes. But just that yeah. section, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, is this Tears in Heaven? No, it's not. <laughs> By the time I said it, it was changed. Yeah. But it's just an interesting little thing. Just that little tiny little acoustic bit at the start. Just something. Yeah, I can hear it. But it's a decent song. It's hard to stand out on an album which has some much greater songs. But this is just fine. One thing I noticed buried in the mix in this song, there's a little, I don't know if it's like a vibraphone or a xylophone throughout this track. And it really Mm. reminds me of some like Brian Wilson stuff, like Beach Boys stuff on Smile. And it's actually on a, I heard it on another track on this album as well. But it's a fine song. I like the whoa, whoa bit. That's good. Yeah. Again, another bit that gets stuck in my head. But this song is okay. I think um, this is a pretty standard track on this album. On this album, yeah. But I'm going to say this about another song as well later, but you could put this song on one of those other, like, later 70s albums and it'd be close to the best song on the album. But here, with so many other great songs, it's sort of pushed way down. But it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. That's all i got to say. Yeah, I I love the song. I really love the way Elvis sings. Just this whole album, his voice is phenomenal. If I was going to pick on a song lyrically, I guess I would pick on this one, but only because... The lyrics are about a guy who basically just like leaves his wife and goes off to sleep around and it doesn't work out and then he wants to go back to her at the end. So if I was going to attack a song for having lyrics that I don't love, I guess it would be this one, but it, it doesn't even bother me in the song. It would it might bother me in another song, but he just sings it so perfectly. Yeah. And and the arc is so great when he gets to the part where one day soon I'm going back. It just it just works. I mean, he just is able to sell this song that I'm sure if I heard it by anybody else with these lyrics, all I would do is complain about this dude being a jerk and <laughs> and leaving <laughs> his life. Listen to these lyrics. Screwing <laughs> around. But uh, w- when it's Elvis and when he sounds this good, there's just no, you know, the wife should take him back. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't care what he did. It's it Elvis. You've really got to take good, him back. It's a really good, I mean, even though it's studio, it's a good vocal, vocal performance. Oh, it's fantastic. 
Yeah, it's just beautiful. Elvis's voice throughout this album is just indescribably good to me. It's it's peak. Well, that's because it's peak Elvis. Yeah. It doesn't get yeah. much better. No, it really doesn't. This is probably I mean, some of the time. The only stuff. thing you could argue is his voice only got like deeper and richer the older he got. Mm-hmm. But then the last few years, he might have had that deeper, richer voice, but then he also didn't seem to have the passion the and the energy to push yeah. it to as good as it could be. So it's sort of a trade-off, you know, wherever yeah. you want to pick, whether you prefer the passion and the energy or just this massive, booming, deep voice. Yeah. Yeah, he's so good on this album. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't have much else to say. I mean, what can you say? It's, it's, no, there's, there's not much else to say about this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do love it. I mean, it's, I don't skip anything on this album. I can't even rank it because I don't even really think it's one of the lesser ones to me on this album. It's one of my favorites on here. And it's another one where I think, uh, I don't want to keep drilling down into Elvis being an adult, but it's another one. This is a guy who's left his wife. Mm. Prior to this, I don't think you can find an Elvis song where he has a wife. Um, I mean, I might be wrong on that, but none of the movie tracks. So in other words, yeah, it's just it's another sort of establishing. This is grown up Elvis. This is, you know, 1970 Elvis. So then we can go mm -hmm. to track number three. It's How the Web Was Woven. Now, Mm -hmm. just like the previous track written by one of the people, Clive Westlake and David Most, this one. The previous song was Clive Westlake and Ben Wiseman. So this was recorded by rock and and soul singer Jackie Lomax and released not long before this, February 1970. And the interesting thing, it was on the Beatles' Apple record label. George Harrison produced it. That's something. It is. I saw that and I'm like, wow, okay. Because we know Elvis was listening to the Beatles and so many Mm -hmm. other things. It's no surprise that he came across this one. Mm -hmm. But this song, yeah, it's also okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's interesting to have acoustic guitar. You don't hear a lot of acoustic guitar through um, Elvis's stuff. But this song, again, it's one of those that just, I've said this a thousand times, it just passes me by. There's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with it. We get a good performance from Elvis. Uh, This particular song, though, doesn't sound that well recorded, which is weird considering it's a studio track. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you can forgive a live track for not being perfectly recorded, but... Maybe the the remasters sound a bit better. You'd hope so. But yeah, I don't have much to say about it. It sort of just comes and goes. This is, um, uh, I'll, I might even say this is the weakest track on the album for me. It's it's close to it. I, I don't think, know. I think I might agree. I haven't put that much thought into it, but either this or uh, maybe track 10 or 11. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's two songs on this album that I always think, oh, that's the one I, I could skip. And then when whenever... As soon as they're on for like 15, 20 seconds. You're like, ah, oh, it's I fine. Never, yeah, I'm not going to skip this. A lot of the interesting stuff about this is the stuff you said about this being a Beatles production. just been released yeah. on the, yeah, the Apple label with George Harrison. Like, I've never heard of Jackie Lomax. I don't know that name. His version's not bad. I, I, it's nowhere near as cool as Elvis's version. I always thought it was an odd metaphor to use a spider spinning a web as to describe how you fell in love with somebody. Oh, uh, yeah. Isn't that odd? I mean, usually yeah, it when seems you think of, a, It seems a bit more sinister than loving. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a web is usually deceit. To trap. A web is to or, trap something. Yeah. So I've always thought it was some strange lyrics, and they seem completely sincere. This is, you know, how we fell in love, but... But yeah, other than that, it's just it's not my favorite track, but Elvis sounds so good. I mean, he could be he could be singing about Hitler and I'd be singing along and loving it. Uh, he, he just sounds so good. Maybe that's one of the outtakes that they, they haven't released yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what a blue fly is either, unless that's a kind of spider. I know he mentions 
uh, well, spinning around like a blue I, fly. I, I, heard, I heard that lyric. And mm-hmm. in Australia, we've got these, they're just normal flies, but they're like big, like blowflies. Oh, okay. And some people call them blue ass flies. So as soon as oh. I heard him say blue flies, I'm like, does he mean blue ass <laughs> flies? <laughs> like these big bloody flies? And yeah. I'm like, probably not. It's just interesting that that's where my brain went. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's still, again, very strange to describe this love affair like being a fly that was caught in this web. But, and you know, there's been like a million Spider-Man movies. Somebody could put this in one of them. Oh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, This can be the next, um, the big love song for the next Spider-Man movie. Yeah. About how he trapped this woman and she got stuck and (laughs) couldn't escape. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, definitely some slightly odd lyrics. But again, every track on here is of such high quality. Yeah. And yeah, this is no exception. So I've, that's all I've got for how the web was woven. So we can go to track number four. It's Patch It Up. Yeah. You go. This was the one that I was, when I was listening to this album, that I couldn't wait to see what you thought of it because this was the one that I figured would be your favorite. Uh, mm. It's great. I mean, it really, this is Ronnie Tut. This is his song almost. Uh, the drumming in this is incredible throughout. The bass playing is incredible throughout. Eddie Rabbit wrote this. He also wrote Kentucky Rain, which I think was probably uh, yeah. recorded at maybe the same session, but it, Kentucky Rain is one of those songs that never appears on an album. Let me just tell Ridiculous. you a an interesting tidbit about Eddie Rabbit. Like, I've never okay. heard his name before. I I don't know. I, oh, don't, okay. I don't know the guy, okay. but I've been re-watching Star Trek The Next Generation, and I'm about mm-hmm. halfway through season five, and then mm-hmm. after I watch it, I go and read, like, some reviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of these episodes, it's like, during the recording of this episode, uh, singer Eddie Rabbit came and watched some of the scenes being filmed. So oh, the only thing I know about Eddie Rabbit is he was a fan of Star Trek. <laughs> I get him confused with this guy, Eddie Money, for some reason. Um, uh-huh. There's a song called I Love a Rainy Night, and I think that's Eddie Rabbit. But oh, I know that Eddie song. Money. I know I love that. that. That's a good song. I'm probably getting his name wrong, but Eddie Rabbit, I know he did, he wrote Kentucky Rain, and I think mm. he's got a couple of songs, on, or he had a couple songs on the radio. It's just funny, I'd never heard of the name Eddie Rabbit, and then we're reviewing this, and I'm like, oh, patch it up, written by Eddie Rabbit, and then like literally the, within a day or two, I see singer Eddie Rabbit attended some filming Trek, scenes yeah. of Star Trek The Next Generation, and I'm like, who is this guy? What, is the, what yeah. are the chances that I would come across that information? It's crazy. It is. This is such an odd album, because the two, the two American singles... Both featured versions of songs not on the album. And so the uh, studio version of Patch It Up is what was on the single. Yes. And I and I do like that one better. I, I think it's a lot better, especially oh. toward the end. Elvis starts making these guttural <laughs> Elvis Chicago, noises. Cow, cow. Yeah. And you would think that would be all over the live version, but it's not. It's mm. It's more prominent in the studio version. It's a great song. It's a song that seems like it should have been a hit next to, you know, Burning Love or Suspicious Minds. Yeah. It feels like that. It just it didn't take off for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's great. It's it's kind of a energy wise. It's a highlight of the album. It's really the only serious straight up rocker on the album. And yeah, I love it. The the single versions, uh, single studio versions a little better than the album version, but but they're both great. And that's that's about it. You sent me the studio version. I did. After I'd listened to the live version about at least six times. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was as good as the live version. Oh, okay. Because as soon as you sent it and you're like, oh, here's the studio version. I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. And then I listened to it and I'm like, oh, it's good, but it's mm-hmm. not the live version. But I do like the thing you said at the end of that studio version yeah. where, he does, where he does his sounds. <laughs> He does his beatboxing or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And you can find a longer version 
of that on one of those mini that's the way it is sets oh uh, yeah uh, oh, there's probably take after take. I don't know how many takes he did of this one, but but I know that the like I said, that studio version does go on a little bit longer on one of these sets where you get to hear uh, a little more of Elvis doing that, yeah. those noises and stuff. Okay, this was yeah written by Eddie Rabbit and Rory Burke and originally recorded by Elvis. So there, this was yeah. the first version. There were no other ones to go and listen to. Yeah, first of all, it's great, and you've already said it. The bass, 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 bass. Like yeah. the start of this song for me, as soon as you start with bass, it's, it's, I know it's going to be good, <laughs> but there is some amazing bass all through this track. It, like it blows me away every time I hear it and I find it hard. And it's not just this song on this album, there's a few others, but mm-hmm. I find it hard to drag myself away and listen to anything else. Yeah. Like apart from the bass. And if you've watched this song in the movie, you can tell even Elvis loves the bass. Every yeah. time they're singing that, can you feel it part? You can see him just looking back, like waiting for that bass to do its thing. And he loves it. And you, like you see him do it all the time with Ronnie Tutt, mm-hmm. you know, where he's, when he's going to wind it up and do, his, do all his crazy fills and stuff. Yeah. But this song, you see him wait, like, where's that bass bit? Here it comes. Here we, here we go. And you don't always see that. So that was good because I love bass. And yeah, you've said the drumming. The drumming's amazing. Yeah, it is. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with this song. Like the horns, vocals from Elvis are just great. He really gives, you know, some of those high notes, uh, amazing stuff. But yeah, I, uh, it's so hard for me to listen to anything except the bass when I hear this song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this should have been a hit. Definitely, definitely should have been. I mean, it was a single. Yeah, and, it was the right choice. Yeah. And You Don't Have to Say You Love Me was on the other side. October 1970, so just before the album came out, you'd think, you know, this is this is it. And yeah, it didn't seem to do much at all, which is weird. Do well, you think, because this song also sounds fairly similar to some of his later 70s songs in this style. Do you think mm-hmm. that might have been too early for this type of song? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I'm looking to see what kind of chart, because it was a single, which num- well, it went to number 11. He got a number one hit on the easy listening chart. I mean, this is basically for the you don't have to say you love me side yeah. of the single, but it was basically a successful single. And maybe, you know, maybe the B side was helping to drive it. Well, that was the smartest thing they used to do when they'd put out a single. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they were, uh, I don't know the exact terms they used, but you'd put out the A side, which was the big song, and then the B side, mm-hmm. which was just like an album track or something. Mm-hmm. But then occasionally people would be like, it's a double A side. Like there's two big songs on there. But they usually yeah. did that when they weren't sure which song was going to be big. Yeah. So they could put it out and just say, it's a double A side. We're not going to tell you which one is the, the big hit and which one is the album track. That's for you guys to figure out. See how it charts. Go and buy it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there's a lot of talk about how Elvis, you know, they're always talking about who has the most number one hits. And Elvis missed out on a lot of number one hits by doing these double sided things mm. like Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel were on one single. Wow. And, and that could have been two singles. Easily. And then yeah. a whole bunch during the army that came out, there should have been two singles and he could have had two. He would have had a lot more number one hits, but they did this. Wow. Oh, by the way, Eddie Rabbit is the person who had a number one hit single with the song I Love a Rainy Night. Oh, there you go. Can't find the date on it in the 80s. 1980. I like that song. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if it was Eddie Rabbit or Eddie Money. Now I have no idea who Eddie Money is. See, there's, so there's a lot of those. <laughs> there's a lot of songs like sort of like that, which I know the song, but I have no idea who they are. Right. <laughs> it could be anybody. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, it was his. I'm sorry to have gone all the way back to Eddie Rabbit now. 
But uh, as far as I know, that was like his only real hit. So he was kind of a one hit. He was a good songwriter and had hits as a songwriter. So that's all we got to say for Patch It Up. Check out the studio version if you can find it. It's on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. everywhere. Oh, I was just going to uh, reemphasize that I, I do like the studio version a lot. I don't know if it's just the, as maybe it has a fuller sound to me or something. It seems more it's neater. Right. It's more. Right. I don't know if clinical is the word. I know what you mean. Because I know he sort of, I, I know he sort of goes off a bit at the end, but it just mm-hmm. doesn't have that sort of, because I've heard the live version right, a lot right. and it's just got that vibe. And then the studio version sort of seems sort of contained and just not as spontaneous or something. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But then at the end, he goes off and does all these things on the studio <laughs> version, which he doesn't do on this live version, at least anyway. Yeah, which is odd. Because he loves doing that. Yeah. I would have loved to have heard him pull this song out later once he had J.D. Sumner on stage, because I think he would have had J.D. do a lot of those bass parts. Yes. That's, that's one thing I noticed really missing from this album, because I'm so used to the, the live yeah. Elvis and mostly 70s shows. So yeah, then to hear that. this, like, I think I might hear him in one track or someone doing a low voice part, but there's very little of it on this album at all. Well, I don't think JD is even around yet. Mm. I mean, around Elvis, he exists. Yeah. There must be <laughs> someone because I did notice on, I think, one track I did hear a low note part, but it was literally one note in one song. Yeah. Well, he still had, you know, he still had his backup singers. I don't know who mm. was doing it at this point. He had the Imperials, that was the women, and then he had... Oh man, I just watched that the movie and I can't remember who the hell they were. <laughs> voice? No, it wasn't voice. I, I, it doesn't matter. But he had his backup singers. So I, somebody so was hit. Somebody that's was something hit I can't keep track of. There's the Sweet Inspirations and there's the there's you know there's like a whole bunch of different groups that came and went. I, and yeah. I, I, it's, it's so much easier just to say the, the backing vocal people. <laughs> Instead oh, of trying to Im- figure out who exactly was where. Well, the Imperials, that's who I kept forgetting. Uh, they probably had a bass, nowhere near as a bass cool guy. as JD, yeah. but I'm sure they had a bass guy. Okay, so let's go. It is track number five, and um, just from the first word of this title, you can probably guess what I'm going to think about it. It's track oh, number right. five. It's called Mary in the Morning. It's a song written by American songwriter and record producer Michael Rashkow and singer Johnny Symbol. What a cool name. Yeah. Johnny Symbol really should be a drummer when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Or at least, a, at least a percussionist. I agree. Yeah, um, that's a good name. Al Martino had the most successful recording of this, reaching number one on the Easy Listening charts for two weeks in July 1967, which makes this one of the older songs on this album because most of these are fairly recent. Yeah, yeah, they are. And yeah, if you've heard any previous shows, you know, I don't love these songs with like grandma names in the title. Like there's Mary and Sylvia and Joyce, you know, I just, I, I don't relate to them at all. Um, I mean, this song's okay. I'm sure some people love it. It's a, it's a nice song. There is a nice little harmonica here and there. Yeah. The strings do get pretty strong, like almost overbearing at some points, but you know, it's okay. I don't have a lot to say about it. I, it's, it's Mary. Yeah. I don't know. You could have just called it you know, sleepy in the morning. And instantly I would like it slightly better just because it didn't have grandma's name in the title. But that's just me. Yeah, I'm so used to, see, I listen to, I know you're not a big Springsteen guy or a Springsteen guy at all, but I I think I'm used to the name Mary because Springsteen must use Mary in at least three different songs. Mm -hmm. Screen door slams, Mary's dress sways. Uh, It's a bunch. Mm. And I guess I think of Mary as kind of like just the basic American name. I'm saying American, it's not necessarily American, but... 
But it just when I was in school, I knew like three different Marys. Unlike Sylvia, I don't have the same connection of, of Mary being like an old person name. It might be. But. Yeah, but can you, do you know anyone called Mary born in the last thirty years? No, it's an old name. <laughs> I, I mean, not that not that we're right. that old and. There might have been yeah. Mary when I was in, like, primary school. Actually, I think there was. I think she was Greek. I don't know why she was called Mary. Maria? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. A- anyway, <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> There's a really nice version of this by Glenn Campbell that came out on an album just a few years before and I like it as well yeah there's a couple of songs from this session we're gonna get to one when we get to the Love Letters album but I heard this when I was like 14 or something it really appealed to me it seemed like what being a grown up with a girlfriend would feel like like well that goes back to your same thoughts about this is the grown up Elvis singing grown up songs it is and this struck me as a younger person as a super romantic song like this was my concept of what being Mm. a grown up yeah i can see that in a happy relationship would feel like and you mentioned the harmonica i love the harmonica in this yeah especially just that little it's good yeah and especially when he changes the line to nothing's quite as pretty as mary in the evening the harmonica has a real nice Mm. little vibe there yeah this is kind of one of my it's hard to talk about a favorite on the album because everything's a favorite but this is this is high on my list I don't have much to say, but I don't have anything negative. I I like this one a lot. I like when the horns and stuff come in. I like the vocals, the background vocals, uh, the arrangement. Like I said, the the bit with the harmonica is really cool. Yeah, it's just another super high quality track on an album full of them. See, yeah, I wouldn't put this in the top eight songs on this album. Oh, I I love it. Just that when I awake and see her there so close beside me. Yeah, no, I just I just love I love everything on this (laughs) on this whole album. But yeah, this is a great song. I'm sure i'm in the minority maybe on this one but that's fine (laughs) so let's go it's the last track on side a it's track six it's a song i know very well from live shows it's you don't have to say you love me this was also released as the advance single with patch it up which we've already mentioned but it's a live version on the album patch it up is a studio version on the single right but you don't have to say you love me is the live version yeah This was originally a 1965 Italian song. He really loved going after some of these Italian songs. Well, because they had that vocal range. They were they were pop songs, but they were operatic. They were sort of could, opera, and they, they had yeah. the high voice girl sing it as well. He loved that stuff. Yeah. yeah, he did. So this was originally called Io Che Non Vivo, Senza Te, by Pino Donaggio and Vito Pallavicini. Mm-hmm. Was also a 1966 hit by Dusty Springfield. That's the one we all know. And that was, says that was her most successful single. Got to number yeah, one on the UK singles chart, number four in the USA, Billboard Hot 100. I didn't listen to the Dusty Springfield one. I've only ever heard Elvis sing this song, and I've heard so many live versions. I've heard it a million times. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this about, I think, another one or two tracks later as well, is this is a f- pretty early version. And oh, yeah. are some of these songs, as he played them year after year after year, evolved quite a bit in like the stage version. Annoyingly, the bass is not that easy to hear for some reason. I don't know if it's just the mixing. When I can hear it, it's doing some some nice stuff, but it's it's just not mixed that well. Uh, I love when the chorus comes in. It, like this song is just ingrained in my brain. There's a big key change at 157. That's always good. But short version, 2:30, two minutes yeah. 30. But that's fine. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, when it's yeah, I agree. 
when it's this good, you don't have to keep going on. What do you got to say? Well, I do know I, I was familiar with the Dusty Springfield version, which is also really, really good. It's a slightly slower tempo. I don't know why Dusty Springfield never did a James Bond theme. She's got the perfect voice for it. Mm. But anyway, Elvis's version, I freaking love it. It was twice a hit in the British Isles for Elvis. It reached number nine in the UK and number 17 in Ireland. Mm. And then in 2007, it was re-released and hit number 16 in the UK and 29 in Ireland. Wow. Went on to become the best-selling record of 1971 in Japan. Wow. Yeah, making Presley the first foreign artist in history to do so. So this was a worldwide hit, even though it's a freaking cover version of a song that was out not long before it, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I I love Elvis's version. I really like some of the, the stuff with the drums. I think it's like when he stops, like, don't you know that now you're gone? And the way the drums kind of oh, kick yeah. in behind him are really cool. I have read a negative review of this where somebody was saying that the horns and the strings were like fighting it out for dominance in the background and it kind of didn't work. I couldn't disagree more. I love the the background music in this song. Yeah, I, I can see what they're saying. But yeah, I don't oh, I, agree either. Yeah, I can see it as well. There are horns and strings, but they're perfect. They're, they fit. And especially if you're not a big fan of that sort of 70s production with strings and yeah. strings and oh, horns on everything. I mean, I, yeah. I like it. It's fine. It can be slightly overbearing at times, but I don't think this is one of those times. There, there's no. much better examples of that in other songs. Yeah, no, I think this one just... It's just this right. This is the one... Yeah, this is the one that I've got is sort of like... When we did Elvis Country, I said Snowbird was like this perfect pop song. And that's the way this is for me on this album. This is just a tiny piece of utter perfection. Yeah. Uh, Like, it's nice and short. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, his vocal is just incredible. It's apparently take three. He did two takes. And on the second one, Felton was like, that's good. And Elvis is like, now I want to do one more. And so this was the third and final take. He just, yeah, I mean, he had this song immediately. And it's like you said, he loves these big dramatic, you know, Italian-based songs. The big drama. Yeah, and this is a favorite. You'll know the answer to this more than me. Lots Mm -hmm. of singers in the last 20, 30, 40 years, they'll be recording vocals for a song and they'll just record, you know, three or four takes. Some people might do 20, some people might do 50, who knows. But, you know, most people will just do a handful. But then, now with computers, you can just cut and paste line three from verse one. Exactly. It's perfect. So let's put that there. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, El- they, you know, even though it could have been possible doing like splicing tape back then, it seems like Elvis just did the perfect take. And he's like, that's the one. They didn't like say, well, that verse is better. Let's use that verse. Nine times out of 10, that's true. There's a couple of splices. I can think of a few that were in movies where Elvis just was so sick to death of singing a song that he couldn't, <laughs> that they had to put a few together. They just cobbled it together. But I mean... Which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But I just find it Elvis was so amazing that he could just do a take and like, that's that's the perfect take. Yeah, that was definitely what he liked to do, was just like it, sing it, it straight have, through. It might take three takes, it might take seven, but yeah, he'd, he'd get might, there. Yeah, it might take 50-something, like Hound Dog. Yeah. He did like... <laughs> 50 plus takes of that, which are all lost, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, he was just, yeah, he didn't want a, a song that was, you know, Frankenstein together. He he wanted to really sing it straight through, and he almost always did. Especially considering he was, he wanted to mostly be on stage. Yeah. So it had to be yeah, it's all replicatable 
on stage, there's some songs which have been f- put together at Frankenstein so much that they're almost like Bohemian Rhapsody. That's not an mm-hmm. easy song for Queen to do live when they were doing it live. They no, had to do some trickery to make it work. But Elvis, it's like, if I can record this in one take in the studio, I can do it in one take on the stage. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. And no. that's, that's just great. Yeah, not a problem for Elvis. So this was side A, done. Six tracks. Yeah, good ending for side A. Good, yeah, great ending. Great ending for side A. And then, and then to start off the B side, holy moly, what a track. It's track number seven. You've lost that loving feeling. What do you got here? Of course, it was a Righteous Brothers song. I do like Elvis's song version better. This is a song kind of like when we talked about Unchained Melody, where I was sick of Unchained Melody because it was in the movie Ghost. And I got sick of this song because it was in the movie Top Gun. Uh, I mean, it's still, it's a great song. It was this Phil Spector, like one of his very first real wall of sound big productions. productions. Yeah. Also uh, written by the same people who wrote I Just Can't Help Believing. Oh, I didn't really. Barry Mann that. and Cynthia Whale. Interesting. Did not know that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, Elvis does it perfectly. Again, I don't know where to go. I mean, how can you? <laughs> it's just hard to put into words. He, he, he does it perfectly. There's a rehearsal version that I like better. In fact, we got an email from a listener reminding us of it. But in 1980, they put out a silver box set and there was a rehearsal version of Elvis doing the song and he puts more energy into it. I, well, I don't know if there's a real regular studio version mm. or is this a studio version or is this live? Let's see. Well, anyway, there's this, there's this great rehearsal version. The, the exact date is unknown, but it's sometime in August, 1970. And I prefer that one. This is a song that I've just heard so often my whole life that I just sort of tune out when it's on. This does have audience noise at the end, but yeah, is it real? Because I know there is false right. audience on, I think it's an, a later track though. Yeah, this one. Oh, I that's the last know. track. Okay. So yeah, yeah this, sure. this is live. But one thing that okay. blows me away with some of these live tracks is the absolute silence of the mm-hmm. crowd during the songs. Like you would barely know, except for the what? clapping at the end. Like they are dead silent. But then you go back to like the 56 Elvis, where it's mm-hmm. just nonstop screaming the entire concert. Well, but it's also definitely down to how they were recording. I mean, I'm sure this is straight from the soundboard where you can oh, filter yeah. out all the audience noise. Oh, but you never can. When they're all screaming, right. there's that <laughs> yeah. much there's that much bleed of that audience noise into all the microphones on stage. You cannot eliminate it, but they must have told them, look, we're recording tonight. Yes, do your clapping, go crazy, but just keep mm-hmm. it to the end of the songs, please, because we want to get good recordings. They, yeah. they could have easily said that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And not ruined every song for four nights <laughs> because right. they were just screaming nonstop. Yeah, I like the, you know, baby, baby, I'll get down on my knees for you, where, of course, when he does it live, he adds, if this suit weren't too tight, oh, which is great always line. cool. <laughs> just mention a line that Prince borrowed on several occasions. Mm, yeah. In some song, very... which I can't remember, but there was some song, and he used to say that line uh, every <laughs> now and then as well. Yeah, I don't know what to say about this. It, it's the best version of the song, in my opinion. I, I like it far better than The Righteous Brothers. It's a song, you know, my mom and dad liked. I heard it from The Righteous Brothers before I heard it by Elvis. I think I was sort of already tired of it. I'm saying all this negative stuff, but this is the best version of this song to me that there is. And Elvis, he couldn't sing it better. But yeah, it's unfortunately, it's it's just a song that's never been my favorite track. It's kind of a standard. It's a lot like Unchained Melody. It's it's been around forever and I eh, kind of tune out a little bit. Okay, then. Didn't mean to be that negative. (laughs) 
I didn't well, even expect to be. But, well, uh, I, can, I can make up for it because it's great. Okay, good. So, it is great. First recorded 1964 by the Righteous Brothers, reaching number one in February 1965 in both the US and the UK. Okay, look, it starts off with bass. So straight away, <laughs> I'm going to like it. Right. James Burton on guitar. This Again, this is one from the movie. You can watch this and it's mm-hmm. great. You see James Burton there on guitar. He's just perfect. That first time he says, baby, holy moly. That just that just gets you every time. I know there's this really cool part where he says, yeah, kind of. It's not really off mic, but it's slightly off to the side. 50 seconds, 50 seconds into this track. And you actually get the backing singers say it first. They say, but baby. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, but baby. And he screams his head off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, up until then, it's just been over singing. But then the energy just kills you. He just kills everyone with that line. In the chorus, the bass, again, the bass, the bass just goes all over the place in the chorus. It is so good. You got the big change at 2.30, and that's when we get that line, if the suit wasn't too tight. Uh, His voice in that part is just insane. And here is an interesting thing. On this album version, you know where he's singing, don't, don't, and the the backing singer is saying, don't. Don't, yeah. On this album version, every time he says, don't, you hear the bass do like a crazy thing. But it's not in the movie version. See, there's so many mixes of this album. Yes. That's the problem. That's the thing. Yeah, there's no consistency. But it's such a great part. I cannot fathom who thought, let's take that bass out of that really good part. It's just Mm. dumb. Because the bass, every time he says don't, don't, and and then the bass answers it every time. It's it's only that a few seconds, but it's so good. Mm -hmm. This is another version that's evolved over the years. As great a version of this is, I think I might prefer some of the later live versions. Madison Square Garden. Just be. Yeah, just because they evolved and he sang them them slightly differently. And again, Mm -hmm. having this on video is just amazing. To me, this is not, I don't have the overplayed thing that you do. Mm -hmm. As much as I heard the Righteous Brothers version on the radio, it never bothered me because it was just, it was a great song. It was really, it was Top Gun that annoyed me because uh, there's a scene in the movie Top Gun where Tom Cruise and whoever just start singing the song a cappella uh, in a bar. That doesn't sound good at all. Oh, it sucks. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really kind of just put me off the song, oh, which wow. is a shame, <laughs> but that's what did it. I've never seen Top Gun. I haven't seen the oh. new Top Gun. Um, I haven't seen the new one. I think it was a, a much bigger thing in America than... I mean, it was big everywhere, but I think it was yeah. such a massive cultural thing in America. I, I saw a quote from what, like the director of the movie, and uh-huh. he said something. It's like, this is not a movie about a love story between people. This is, mm-hmm. like, this is like a porn movie for, for planes or something. It is. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> okay, I don't think that's a movie I really need to see. And I, I don't like Tom Cruise, so I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. See, I'm older than you, and so I was in high school when Top Gun came oh, out. Oh, so that would have been just, a massive thing, yeah. Exactly. It was just one of those deals where everybody went and saw you it. You cannot get uh, away. It's all right, but yeah, I, I do not like the scene where they sing this song. They've ruined it. Send a message to Tom Cruise and go, thanks for ruining one of the greatest songs. <laughs> Luckily for well, I mean, you, Elvis saved it. <laughs> when I'm watching it in the movie, when I'm watching Elvis perform it, it never even crosses my mind to skip it. Or I mean, people need to watch this movie. I know we're talking about the album, but they've got to go watch this movie. Elvis is just riveting throughout. Yeah. And including the song, like I said, I don't, I'm tired of the song, don't really love it. But when he's performing it and when I'm watching it, I'm completely wrapped. I mean, it's phenomenal. That's the thing, I mean, that everyone, not everyone, that many people say about Elvis is just the charisma that he had. Like, you cannot take your eyes off him. No. Like, because you, you never know. Like, what's he going to do next? Is he going to do karate? What's he going to do? Yeah. You, you never know. And <laughs> well, it's, he has this. 
He just he has this yeah. restlessness when he's on stage. That's just so you just can't stop watching him. And when he's like between songs, his eyes are just like constantly roaming through the crowd, like looking for yeah. somebody to like to make eye contact with and smile or. Yeah, he's absolutely riveting to watch, especially. I mean, this is peak Elvis. And yeah, him on stage doing this. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Just unbelievable. Well, one of the things is, oh, how do I even explain it? I can't think of anyone else who I have seen music have such a physical effect on somebody. Mm -hmm. Like every time Ronnie Tut starts doing those drum feels, Elvis just loses it. He just, yeah. that's just how he feels it. And it's excellent. And I love that. Yeah. I've seen I do too. a few other people do it to some extent, but nothing like Elvis. I remember watching some documentary or something about uh, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys and they were like playing back some section of the Smile album and just mm -hmm. seeing him sitting there listening to that thing that he created like 20 or 30 years before the documentary was made mm -hmm. and just seeing his face and he would like get his hands up in the air and move his fingers around it like he was just, it has like a physical effect on him. Yeah. And I just love that because I have that sometimes but mm -hmm. when you go to a concert or something, most of the time you feel so, so, I mean, a lot of people just dance. That's how they feel. Right. Music. I don't dance. Right. And if you want to do any sort of physical thing in front of many other people, you do feel self-conscious about it. So you usually just don't do it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no one like Elvis have I seen yeah. just physically interpret the music that's on the stage. Yeah. And not self-conscious at all. I no, mean, doesn't care. I mean, that's <laughs> no. going back to, you know, when he started just shaking his leg right at the start, mm -hmm. you know, and everyone's like, well, we can't put that on television. Oh, my God, it's people are going to just go crazy. Like, I mean, occasionally you'd see Prince do that, but it was almost predominantly getting that funk face when he was playing guitar and like he was right. feeling that. But I never saw the drums or the bass or anything else really affect him on stage in a physical way. Because I think Prince was very in control. I mean, that's Prince's whole thing was control on stage. You know what I mean? He knew what he was playing. He knew what he knew what he wanted the band to do exactly when. And yeah. Would, you know, dock their pay if they didn't. Yeah. You know, he was really choreographed. Elvis was just natural. Yeah. Uh, and you could tell if the band screwed up, he laughed. I mean, he was just it was just fun to see yeah. him on stage. Spontaneous. Because he was having a ball, the band was having a ball, the singers, I mean, it was just the best time ever. As much as he, oh, we, we've got to get off this, but as much as he had fun <laughs> physically interpreting the music, I'm sure the band, especially Ronnie, had mm -hmm. just as much fun going oh, crazy yeah. to make Elvis lose it. Yeah. Like, there's some songs in um, That's The Way It Is, mm -hmm. and just when Ronnie gets going on those drum fills, and he just, like, gets faster and faster, and Elvis just loses it. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, it's so amazing to watch. Well, so, uh, if you've watched uh, only half of the movie, you haven't gotten to Elvis doing Polk Salad Annie in the movie yet, right? I have seen it, but... Oh, okay. But that was, like, I think the 2001 version... And it was, it was at least 10 years ago, but I do remember watching it a bunch of times when I got that DVD. Oh, that's great. And especially, yeah, some of that live stuff. Yeah, well, Ronnie Tut's gone nuts. Yeah. Uh, and Elvis is right next to the drums, and it's just, yeah, it's great. Well, I'm very happy I shook Ronnie's hand when I had the chance. Yeah. Because um, I no longer have the chance. Yeah. Anyway, that brought everything down. <laughs> Let's go to track, track number... Two. Eight. Two side B. Well, yeah, so well, it's track two side B. Oh, or track two track side B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight overall. Or track eight. There it's called I've Lost You. 
Now, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this one, because I know what I think, and I think I know what other people think, but what do you think about this one? I don't have a lot to say. Uh, I really like it. I think, uh, once again, the studio version, which came out on the single, I prefer to the album version. The studio version has a few more lyrics that Mm. Elvis just sort of skipped in the live version. He wasn't holding his lyrics paper in his hand. (laughs) (laughs) No, not on this one. It's again, it's another one of those sort of very grown up songs about a guy who's got a wife and a child. So yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, I think it's produced beautifully. I love all the music in it. You know, it's kind of like an early version of Separate Ways or, or one of those types of songs that he would do a lot later in his career. I'm looking at the chart performance. It did pretty well. Because, yeah, this was a single. The, yeah. This was the A side. The Next Step Is Love was the B side, released July 1970. So a fair few months before the album, actually. Yeah, went to number six in Australia, went to, let's see, US. Uh, Hot 100 only got to number 32, but on the easy listening chart, went to number five. Oh, wow. In Canada, it was a top 10 hit. So it was was a successful hit around the world, basically. This whole album, it seems like they were so much smarter about the way they did things. Like the choices of singles were smart. The fact that they put basically kind of like Prince was would you would always do put a b-side that you couldn't get on the album yeah to uh, make people buy the single yeah so they put a version of I've lost you that's not on the album all of it just seemed like very smart yeah what happened what happened later on they just yeah. gave up <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I got I don't have a whole lot to say I mean it's one of my favorites on the album but I mean every damn thing on the album is a favorite so <laughs> yeah what do you have to say okay this is written by Alan Blakely and Ken Howard under the name Steve Balby for some reason and Ian Matthews first put it out in 1969 yeah I did listen to that Oh, you did? I did, and I forgot that I listened to it. Elvis is, is, is <laughs> it, it can't. Elvis <laughs> was much better then, if you can't even remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, some yes. lovely bass on this. I mean, just listen in the verses. The guy playing the bass, he's just off doing his own melodic thing. I just love it, mm-hmm. even in the choruses as well. I was going to ask you, what is that? Is it a horn that's also doing like kind of... Oh, it sounds like a, some sort of flute or something. Yeah, I couldn't quite... It, yeah, uh, right at the it. start of the song. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in the song, some cool music. Yeah, it does sound like a horn, like maybe a little clarinet or something, but it, then I also say, I sort of has it like a flute sound, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the geniuses out there will tell us how stupid we are and what it is. But yeah, the bass, oh, I love the bass in this song again. And it's well mixed. I can hear everything that is happening. Mm-hmm. And again, great to see the video for this one. And I think this is a good song. And when I'm listening to it, I'm like, yeah, this is good. Mm-hmm. But then when it's over, I can't recall barely anything about it. I think there's just, there's not a real strong melody. There's no catchy thing that gets stuck in my brain, except maybe that little bass and horn part. Yeah. But yeah. In this song, the most memorable part for me is, is the bass. Yeah. Because it's um, just so a, nice. Um, a couple of lyrics on this one uh, stick in my head. Although I think it's more from the studio version. There's a line about, I've lost you, I've lost you, uh, though your body still is kind. It is, that's, I think he, he drops that line on the album version. But the single version in the chorus, he changes one of the, or not changes, but he, he's, he sings the full lyrics on the single version, which contains lines about how I've lost you, I've lost you, though your body still is kind. I mean, it's a great, yeah. it's a great vocal performance. Yeah. And I'm sure people love the lyrics in this song which I don't pay too much attention to. And 
I mean, in retrospect, you could apply these lyrics to, you know, so many things going on in his life. Yeah. So, you know, we can project whatever onto this song. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how much this song meant to him at the time. It could have been a little, it could have been a lot, who knows. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not memorable enough, I think. As great as a performance, vocally especially, yeah. there's just nothing that... And this also comes down to the songs that I've heard live a thousand times. Right. I just can't help believing, you don't have to say you love me, you've lost that love and feeling, just pretend, bridge over troubled water. I've all heard countless, countless times. Yeah. But then you've got 20 Days, How the Web Was Woven, Mary in the Morning, I've Lost You, Stranger in the Crowd, The Next Step is Love, which I've mm-hmm. probably heard once or twice on those box sets many years ago and then a bunch of times in the last few weeks getting ready for this. So there's also a a familiarity thing as well that they're just not ingrained in my brain. Yeah. Like some of the others. But that's all I got to say. Yeah, I can't rank this anywhere either. I I mean, I I think I like it more than you, but I don't even know. I mean, it's a nice song. There's nothing (laughs) wrong with it. It's just, this is my weakness every time. I just, I don't pay that much attention to lyrics. Which I'm sure if I did, this song would give me something because it seems like there's, you know, there's a big message there to get. Well, I appreciate this song. It's not a song like there's plenty of really depressing Elvis songs that I can identify with. This one is a little too specific. You know, six o'clock, the baby will be crying. And uh, it's a very specific situation. Mm. It's not a proper name like Mary or anything, but but (laughs) it is a little too much specificity. specificity. There it is. Too much of that for me to really identify with the way Mm. I do with some others. But yeah, it's still, like you said, it's still a really good song and a great vocal. Up against such stronger songs. Right. You could put this on a later album and this would be in the top two or three songs on the album. But here it's like, it's again, it's way down the list because there's so much stronger material. Yeah. I mean, I think I would put it above How the Web Was Woven, above, uh, probably above Patch It Up for me. Oh, only because only uh, yeah, I like... Yeah, I can see that. It's really hard to compare a ballad with a, a rock song. But but yeah, it's, I, I, I do like a, I've Lost You a lot. It's fine. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. So let's go That's to track number nine. It is Just Pretend. Oh, Lordy Lord. This is <laughs> composed by Guy Fletcher in partnership with his writing partner, Doug Flett. First released by Elvis, no earlier versions. And this is a good, it's a good song. I've heard this mm-hmm. in a bunch of live shows. I'll say it f- for the 50th time. Bass. S- steals the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not joking. It really is a struggle for me to focus on anything else sometimes because I just get stuck listening to the bass and I'm like, oh, listen to that. And then nothing else even enters my ears. Yeah. But when I can drag myself away, it's all good. The piano, the acoustic guitars, there's a little organ in like the right speaker. It's nice. Mm-hmm. But there's that line, I will hold you and love you again. Just yeah. the power in his voice. Holy moly, it just kills you. Yeah, that's what does it. But it's a good song. It's a good to great song, mm-hmm. somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, this is another one where I, I kind of, when I see it, when I see it on the, the track list, in my head I think, oh yeah, I don't, I don't like that one all that much. But then when I start listening to it, as soon as Elvis is saying, I'll come flying to you, I'm singing along and, and thinking this is the greatest song I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> While it's on. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like I've lost you. When it's on, you're like, wow, this is really good. And then when the next song's on, you're like, what was the last song? <laughs> I like I've Lost You more than this one. Uh-huh. I think. The only thing I've always thought was odd about this is he re-recorded during the very same sessions, he re-recorded a song called Love Letters that he originally did in 1966. 
And the ending of this song and the ending of Love Letters are identical, Ooh. like the same notes. Like, I don't I don't know how that happened. It's, it's always struck mm -hmm. as odd. This is another one that the Royal Philharmonic also did a new background uh, for with Elvis's vocal. I think I prefer the original, the one we're talking about, not the Philharmonic one. But yeah, it, I have a feeling this is the kind of song that women who really are into Elvis will appreciate a lot more than you and I. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, just pretend I'm holding you and I'll come flying to you. It's a very direct they can imagine oh yes elvis is coming to get yeah. me this is yeah i can see the women really screaming for this one and you know getting a little bit more out of it than i do you know this album is all such high quality there's yeah there's just there are no bad songs there's no yeah i wouldn't say I, any song on here is bad no i guess i would call this one slightly lesser yeah compared to again compared to what's around it but it's it's still so damn good so yeah again, I, I, i'll put this above the songs that Again, it's a familiarity thing. Right, right. Even if I tried to look at it, I can never remember. Subjectively, objectively, I could mm -hmm. compare this with, say, How the Web Was Woven. And I'd mm -hmm. still just pick Just Pretend because I've heard it a whole bunch of times. Right. Even though maybe How the Web Was Woven could mm. be slightly better. I don't know. I can't no, tell you. <laughs> I think I'd choose this maybe over How the Web Was Woven. But yeah, it's a very that. hard. Yeah, it's almost impossible to rank this album because everything is such high quality. So, but that's all I have. So let's go to track ten. It's "Stranger in the Crowd." You go first. Okay, another one written specifically for Elvis. Winfield I, Scott. Yeah, what I really like about this one is the rhythm of it. And I don't know music, so I don't know how to talk about the time signature or the mm. whatever. But there's some really cool stuff going on in the in the rhythm of the song. It, yeah, it sort of feels like some sort of shuffle. Yeah, yeah. Once Even it though it's probably the, not a shuffle, it just that's the word that came to mind. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, and this will probably annoy people listening who who aren't Prince fans. But for some reason, the song "17 Days," the Prince song, always pops into my head when I hear this, and I'm sure it's yes, it's got that sort of hypnotic rhythm. And it, and it also has one line that always just kind of sticks out at me because 17 days, Prince mentions, all I've got is two cigarettes and this broken heart of mine. Yeah. And of course, Prince didn't smoke. And in this song, Elvis mentions he was down to his last cigarette. And for some reason, this incredibly stupid, <laughs> tenuous connection just sticks in my head. <laughs> it's like, wait, neither of those guys smoke and they're singing about being almost out of cigarettes. Yeah. If I were going to complain about lyrics, this one's odd because Elvis is just... He's a guy just standing out on a street corner smoking cigarettes from quarter after seven. So for three and a half hours, he just hangs out on this street corner until he meets a woman at quarter <laughs> to 11. And then they're completely in love and everything's milk and honey, <laughs> which is a phrase from uh, the Bible, Exodus, the promised land of... Oh, just too many Prince references. I can't keep up. Milk and Honey was Tamar's album. Oh, Exodus was right. the MPG album. Come right. on. Well, the Bible. Everybody goes back to that. <laughs> it's all been written before. Right. Yeah, this has just got this great, fun beat to it. And every time I, I hear it, I can see the way Elvis is moving when that sort mm. of shuffling part kicks in. Yeah, it's so hard to talk about this album. Everything is just great. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, like I said, if I <laughs> wanted to really pick on a song that had some lyrics that were bizarre, it would be this one. Mm. Just because, I mean, if I just if I go stand out on a street corner for three and a half hours... <laughs> I don't get know. A, if I'm get gonna, a life. Yeah, I don't know who I'm gonna meet. Uh, <laughs> it's a long time to just stand out in the street doing nothing. <laughs> well, he's smoking cigarettes, but yeah, it oh, is yeah. weird. But other than that, and that's a complete nonsense sort of nitpick about the lyrics. <laughs> 
it's a great song like everything else and i it's one of my favorites on the album so so yeah we said written by winfield scott uh winfield scott had previously co-written with otis blackwell a number right. of other songs for Elvis, including Return to Sender. Yeah. So there's uh, another familiar name. Yeah. Um, this song, we've got more acoustic guitar. There's a bit of acoustic guitar on this album. I like it. Mm-hmm. As much as I like the up-tempo tracks, this, for me, possibly one of the weakest on the album. But again, okay. having said that, there's some outstanding competition as well. Yeah. I notice I can't hear the bass again on this track very well at all, or even the lead guitar. You can hear the guitar just for the guitar solo, but then through the track, mm-hmm. nothing. It just seems like it's drums and keyboards and backing vocals. But then you've got that sort of shuffling beat, which makes it sound very busy and full, even though there doesn't seem to be that much going on. It's interesting. The acoustic guitar that kind of starts it off, is it kind of, I guess it's going throughout. I'd have to go back and really listen to the, the middle section. Well, once it gets going, it's a bit hard to differentiate between the acoustic guitar and the strings. Yeah. Because they're yeah, that's playing true. very similar sort of tones. But I think it does keep going. It mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But it's not the best on the album. So I can say next. Yes, it's next. It's track 11. The next step is love. Mm-hmm. This was previously a B-side to I've right, Lost right. You, written by Paul Evans and Paul Barnes, originally recorded by Elvis. So written just for him. I do like there's a little horn part that comes in every now and then. Yeah. But I think I could see some people could be annoyed by that as well. But I do like this one. I said this about a preview, like patch it up. Even though it's mm-hmm. very early 70s, it sort of has that later 70s sound. Um, you've got like this sort of wah-wah keyboard sounds and the guitars sort of just like wash over you the way that whatever effect they've got on them is really cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one's just okay for me. That's, that's all I've got. Like- um, I feel like this is one of the one of the weirdest eh, weirdest isn't quite the right word, but it's a really unique song in Elvis's entire catalog. It just has a really different sound, and and just like the song before it, it's got a really interesting rhythm that I like. I mean, it's not a it's not an obvious beat that I'm used to. I do love that like French horn bit that sounds kind of like Penny Lane. Yeah, immediately makes me think of Penny Lane. You know what? It reminds me of some some Roger Whittaker track. Oh, okay. Because he had that same sort of thing in a couple of songs as well, which we probably already mentioned before. Probably. The lyrics to this are also very, I mean, this is just very different for Elvis. That line about we've yet to taste the icing on a cake that we've been baking with the past Mm. is a real odd line. That's a lyric. (laughs) Well, it definitely reminds me of MacArthur Park. All the sweet green icings melting down. Someone left the cake out in the rain. No, the cake in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, this is as good a place as any to mention. That song was by Richard Harris, who also did My Boy before Elvis. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, I like the French horn. I like the weird lyrics. I like the cool rhythm. The strings are real prominent on this whole album, really. But this song in particular, I hate to say anything is my favorite before we get to Bridge Over Troubled Water. Because I was <laughs> just, I mean, he just knocks that out of the world so if i discount bridge over troubled water this might be my favorite one on the album yeah i think it is well you don't have to say you love me is right up there god this is a good album yeah (laughs) yeah well his voice is incredible the whole song is is just another amazing song and another great vocal so yeah i I don't have anything else to say either it's all it's so hard to review album when it's all good yeah 
like you said, there's no bad songs. No. There's there's lesser songs, but there's no I wouldn't call anything on here bad. This is like such a strong album. But that's yeah. we'll get to that. And the vocal throughout every song, his vocal oh, yeah. could not be better. I don't use words like sublime, but his voice is just <laughs> sublime, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's beyond. Anyway, okay, that's all I've got for so, Well, let's go to the song that you, that you love. It's track 12. It's the final track of the albums, the last song on side B. It is Bridge Over Troubled Water. Everyone knows it's a the folk duo Simon and Garfunkel released their version January 1970. So again, it's a really recent track to cover. Yeah. And it was on their Bridge Over Troubled Water album. But a lot of people are covering it, though. The same year, 1970, oh, yeah. Glenn Campbell put out an album with Bridge Over Troubled Water. And in fact, B.J. Thomas, I think on his album that has Just Can't Stop Believing, Just Can't Help Believing, ends with his version of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, wow. So people rush to cover this. So this is during the summer season in Las Vegas that says... I found this thing. Paul Simon attended one of the shows, and after seeing Elvis perform the song, he was reported to have said, that's it, we might as well all just give up now. <laughs> Which yeah. is, I mean, what a what a compliment yeah. to Elvis. It's like, Elvis just did my song, and it was way better than I could have done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for sure if that quote's... I hope that quote's right. I've also read a quote where Paul Simon is much more, where he just says, well, it was really dramatic the way Elvis did it. And I guess that's the way it was written. It was much less enthusiastic. Well, I mean, even the quote that I said, you could interpret that in different ways as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean I it think sounds Elvis... positive, but it could also just be not, not that positive. So, yeah, I hope Paul Simon meant it positively. I'm going to take it that way. Yeah. But this is the one which we mentioned earlier seems to have a, a false audience fade out for some reason. Yeah. That's just annoying. Uh, I can sort of get it. It's the last track on the album. You want to end with applause. It's the end of the album. Yeah, let's give Elvis a big clap. But yeah, yeah. it's just, you didn't need it. It feels like not just the audience. I mean, to my ears, the last note of the song is where they blended it. So to me, the very final note of the song actually sounds like it's in like a, the wrong key or something before the audience uh, comes Ooh. in. I mean, I might be wrong about where the splice is, but as opposed to just, you know, cranking up some audience noise over the last note, it sounds like they just took the last note from a live performance with the with the natural applause and just stuck it on there. And it, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's just weird. It's weird yeah. why they even thought that they needed to put it there. But yeah, it was not necessary. No, and it, it could have been done more professionally if they were going to do it. It just oh, yeah. it really, to me, sounds like they just slapped on a, a the final note of a live version. And it, I just hear a major difference in sound mm. but luckily it's now 50 something years later and yeah. you can find the version without that applause stuck on it yeah this song there's great piano and organ work like first verse elvis's voice is just amazing and then we get the um the brian wilson vibraphone just going jingle jangle come in <laughs> whittling away whatever it's called uh mm. strings bass and drums come in for verse two and this is a fairly faithful version, especially after you've heard the later 70s versions. And this is another one that also evolved a fair bit. And Elvis sang lines slightly differently later on. Because mm -hmm. there were things in this where I'm like, oh, he's going to do that. Oh, no, he didn't do it because he only mm -hmm. did that later on. So this is a very like standard version, which sounds like a, a negative comment, but it's not. It's amazing. Yeah. It just got more amazing, like some of the things that he did later on. There's a verse, I think it's the third verse. It starts at 309. 
Elvis actually sings the harmony, not the main line. The, the backing vocal guy sings the main line and Elvis sings the harmony. It's really good. Yeah. I really like that part. And as he pretty much does in every performance of this song, he always just does that big ha at, at <laughs> yes. some point because I don't know if it's just like an emotional thing and it just it has to happen yeah. at that point, but it's, it's good every time. I love it. This is probably, I think I'm with you, this is probably the best song on the album, performance-wise, yeah. vocal, vocally, everything. The, the mixing is really good. The band is amazing as always. The only real annoyance is that audience on the fade out. Right. Just unnecessary. But like you said, you can get the version without that now. So that's that's good. That's that's all I got to say. Um, Go crazy. Yeah. Well, we, we have talked about the song, not this version, but I guess we've talked about the song, I feel like twice, but maybe just once. Madison Square or somewhere that had this on there? What was it? Yeah. It was on Madison Square Garden for sure. But for some reason thought we somehow talked about it twice, but maybe not. My favorite quote I saw about this from somebody who had written a book, Robert Matthew Watson, says, Presley's outstanding singing is not disguised. This is a fabulous version, burning with sincerity and power and finding depths not revealed by the composers. And mm. that is what Elvis did with yep. everything he sang. Yeah. People call it, you know, he made it his own, but it's yeah. really like getting something else out of the song, which the previous, yeah. maybe like the original writers did not do. Well, and it, that's what he was so good at doing. Imagine spending nothing but eight years trying to wring emotion out of songs about dogs and beaches and <laughs> yeah. uh, shrimp and you Acapulco. Know. Yeah. It's so <laughs> exciting. And then he gets to sink his teeth into songs like this, where it's like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. It is the defining version of the song. It is far better to me than Simon and Garfunkel. And I love Simon and Garfunkel. I have yep. everything they've ever done. Big but fans. It, but yeah, it's a totally different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's as the young the, kids say. The quote I keep repeating whenever the song comes up, and I, I'm going to do it again because it's just so apt, is uh, Art Garfunkel sounded like an angel when he sang it, but Elvis sounded like a god. And yeah. I mean, that's just the fact. On a slightly different topic, sort of, this was recorded at the same general sessions that Hey Jude was. And I really think if Hey Jude had been given the same time and effort that Bridge Over oh. Troubled Water was given, I do think Hey Jude would have been Classic. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as it was, we heard it on Elvis Now and it was unfinished. It was tossed off. It was a, but, a rehearsal honking goose. <laughs> yeah. But if they would have spent that kind of time on Hey Jude, I have no doubt he could have nailed it just the way he did with Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yeah. Yeah, if it wasn't like, you know, probably the last song they recorded at 3 a.m. and it was just a throwaway thing. Yeah. Right. He didn't have the lyrics. I mean, there was just no, you know, and it's the perfect. You couldn't end this album with any other song because nothing can follow this. No. I mean, if you start with Bridge Over Troubled Waters, you just everybody's blown away. It's only downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing to say. Just listen to the song. It's mm. unbelievable. It, it surpasses every other version. It's it's a perfect lyric for Elvis. Oh, and the version that they do, the Royal Philharmonic also did this one. And I think that part where Elvis, we were talking about Elvis singing harmony on the orchestra version, I'm pretty sure they double track Elvis. So they're, so it's truly Elvis singing harmony with himself, mm. which is really cool. We'll have to listen to that one. Yeah, it's neat. I don't think it's better than the, I think this is the better version, except for the fake applause we keep talking about. Mm. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a perfect cover of a great song capping off a great album. Okay, 
Let's wrap it up. It's the conclusion. It's conclusion time. It's the outro. I think this is probably one of the best albums that we've talked about so far. There's been a few really good ones, but I think overall, I would probably say this is the best album, like as an album. Like you even right. said, like the sequencing was better. There was more thought yeah. put into the singles. You oh, know, everything. it just seems a lot more focused than a lot of the later 70s stuff. I think this just is the best one so far. For me, it's pretty much tied with Elvis Country. Country, yeah. I mean, they're both from the same session. There is no real, you know, it's just what songs they picked. Yeah, where's the split? Yeah. Yeah, so this, I mean, yeah, this is probably, this or Elvis Country are, are, the, are my two favorites. When we get to Love Letters, I like that one as well. From the same sessions. I, I think we can probably say Love Letters will be the next one we do. Why not? Okay. Let's yeah, I was going to say that one or Aloha because we get to watch that one as well. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk that much about the movie, but we'll let's just do a show on the movie because it's such, such okay. a different thing to the album. Right. I mean, you've got all the rehearsal stuff and different live stuff than what was on it's, the album. So, yeah, we'll get to that. It's interesting that this behind-the-scenes music documentary came out the same year as the Beatles' Let It Be behind-the-scenes music documentary. Ah, well, yeah, really 1970, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we see the Beatles right at the very end, and we see Elvis on top launching into his third decade mm. <laughs> on top, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, we've said it all. I mean, he this is peak Elvis. This is just one of the absolute highs of a career that was practically nothing but highs. Uh, like, so, yeah, nobody I, ever asks me what Elvis album should I listen to. But if they did, I'd probably say this one. This one, yeah. Because it's well recorded. It sounds great. Yeah. It's a good mix, a good range of songs. It's got a few big songs that they'll probably recognize. You know, I mean, it's not 56 Elvis. It's not all the, the yeah. big hit, the early hits that people know. But I think it's got a good mix of stuff that they know. And it shows off his voice in different ways, in different songs. Yeah. Unless they were really looking for rock songs, because, mm. I mean, aside from Patch It Up, I mean, there's some nice, there's some good stuff on here with some nice, you know, rhythms and all, but Patch It Up is probably the only real rocker on the, the whole thing. You don't have any connection between uh, Patch It Up and uh, your favorite song, Three Corn Patches? <laughs> no. No, I'm not hearing it. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know what album I would recommend. It might be Elvis Country as opposed to this one, just because I think it, it also showcases his voice. And mm. really, I mean, that's got Wash My Hands in Muddy Water. Oh, and yeah, you gotta, which is great. I mean, that's such a good song. I, yeah. Come to think of it, the best way is probably just make a compilation for someone because well, you don't a even lot have of the to, albums just, are very, you know. Yeah, but you can just go buy Elvis in Nashville, I think, mm. or is it Elvis back in Nashville? One of those sets that just takes the sessions and so you've got this entire album, the entire Elvis Country album, and the entire Love Letters album on that set. Mm. So yeah, if you weren't obsessed with the original albums the way we're doing them, that yeah. is probably a really good way to listen to this. So that's your final thoughts? It, it's one of the greatest Elvis albums, period. Yeah. Not just of the 70s, period. I'll agree with that. Go and watch the movie. Watch the Baz Luhrmann movie. You've oh, got the new to, one? Yeah, I'll watch that. I will. Everybody's got to watch it and then watch That's the Way It Is because... If you think the movie exaggerates how great Elvis was, wait until you watch That's the Way It Is. Watch the real it Elvis. <laughs> it. it surpasses it in every way. And it was done way before, which is crazy. So that's it. We're done. Yeah. Uh, done. Yeah. Well, let, let's do Love Letters next. Okay. I like it. Oh, before we go, <laughs> oh, we did get a few emails from people. Thank you very much. Yes. We have replied or we're in, in the middle of writing a reply to you. So thank you for emailing. It's always good to hear from people. So that's it. We're going to be back next time for Love Letters. Love Letters from Elvis. That's the one. All right. Okay. Sounds good. That's it. 
Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much.